Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 40th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In this new moon episode, I'll be discussing travel and we'll be speaking with Damon Dominique, travel vlogger, YouTuber and author of the book, You Are a Global Citizen. Then I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is Living Magically, A New Vision of Reality by Jill Edwards. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations for traveling. But first, let me share with you some reflections on my own experiences with traveling and living abroad. It's a very, very windy day here in Barcelona, so I apologize for any wind sounds of things blowing around and shutters shutting and things like that. Today I wanted to talk about travel because that's the theme of today's show. And I think travel is one of those things that when you ask someone what they want to do in life or what they want more of, then travel is definitely one of those things. And after the pandemic, that was something that we weren't really able to do. So I wanted to talk a little bit about my own experience with travel and discovering new lands. So I was born in the UK and every summer I went to Ireland because my family is Irish. That's all I knew about travel. I went on a plane for the first time when I was about six weeks old. And we used to get the ferry mostly to go to Ireland. So that's the only country that I knew. But all my friends at school were going to France and Spain. And I was really curious about going somewhere where there was a different language. And even from a very young age, from the age of 11, I decided that I was going to study French at university and have a year abroad in France. Even in my first French class, I had this mission, which is kind of curious because I was so curious about you know, just speaking different words and having different words, different language, different vocabulary. And it was fantastic. And I remember the very first um, trip uh, we had, we, well, my parents were not the kind of parents who would let me go on school excursions. And every year there was a school trip to France and um, I was never allowed to go. But when I got to the age of 14, I was working in a cafe washing up for £1.90 an hour and I managed to save up enough to pay for my own school excursion. So I was the only one, fortunately my parents let me go, and I was the only one in the whole class that actually paid for it themselves, which uh, was was incredible because I really... um, I really valued the value of money and also the hard work and rewards that can be enjoyed with discipline and just saving in general. I remember going on the boat on the way over to France and I asked someone what time it was, a calorie-t-il, and and then the person replied to me that it was 11.30, but in England it was 10.30. And I remember in French and I was so 
blown away. I was like, oh, I understood that. And I told my friends, but they just didn't care because they weren't going to France to learn French. They were just going because their parents were paying. Also, when I was in this French class at school, I asked um, the teacher if I could sit on the front row because my friends on the back row were just not interested in learning French, not as much as I did. So I've had this real French fever that I can't remember why, <laughs> why it kind of emerged. I guess it was a lot of curiosity. And also during my first time in France, it was just... We were in Normandy and Brittany, and then our coach driver, who was just amazing, decided to treat us to a day out in Paris, and it was one of the most incredible experiences of my of my youth. It was just amazing. The first time I actually was away from my parents and just with friends and paying for everything myself, which was just wonderful. And then when I um, went to university, I actually did um, fulfill my dream of doing a French degree and I went to live in France. But the first time I went to live in France, I was a an au pair between my first and second year at university. I went during the summer and I found it to be quite challenging. It was a very, you know, to be in a different culture all day long and also um, to try and speak French all day long. I found it very mentally exhausting and I, I wasn't so impressed with Paris at first. I think all cities have many faces and you can't judge a city on um, a holiday or just being there for a month. I think it takes, I think many cities have different, you have different people have different experiences of different cities because there's so many things to experience within a city. And so when I was going to do my year abroad, I actually didn't want to go to Paris again because I just found that I would be, you know, in a city and maybe lonely. Because I was very lonely when I was an au pair. I used to just go to um, go to cafes and write. I, was, I wrote this diary called Une Anglaise à Paris, like an English woman, in, English girl in Paris. And I was looking after these kids. And that's when I really lost my maternal instinct forever. <laughs> it was uh, it was quite challenging. I was kind of ca- almost counting the days to go home. I, I enjoyed you know, the language learning um, aspect of it. So then I went, went to university. I really wanted to spend my third year doing Erasmus Orgasmus. And and I wanted to go to live on the Mediterranean somewhere like Montpellier or somewhere like that and um, and go to university and do Erasmus Orgasmus and, and have that experience of living somewhere warm by the sea, very different to Paris. But the reality was that I wasn't able to do that because my parents were not going to be able to kind of fund my my explorations in the foreign lands. And I, I actually ended up having to do a work um to do a work experience instead. So I had to do an internship in Paris and that's where all the all the internships were. And I, at first I wasn't so thrilled about it, but when I got the best paid one, I was like, okay, this is cool. So I went to Paris and the, the, it was the great thing was that I already kind of knew Paris after my au pair experience. And for the first few weeks, even months, it was so hard because I was just 20, 21 and I had a boyfriend in London, so we we're doing the long distance thing with Eurostar. And he was coming to see me once a month. I was going there once a month. And the other weekends, the other two weekends of the month, I was just so lonely. I used to leave work on a Friday and then not see a soul until the Monday, which I think in this day and age now with social media and internet and smartphones, we're never really alone. I mean, even if you're at the bus stop, you can be connecting with your friends. But back then, it was, you know, expensive phone calls. And it was just uh, much more challenging to actually keep in contact. And I had the worst phone bills. Oh, my God. 
And also my TV, I was on the second floor. I didn't have a great aerial. So it was just, it wasn't, it was always being interrupted. It was, I had a fuzzy screen. So I, I um, that wasn't very good either. So I didn't really know what to do with myself, I suppose. And one day I discovered this amazing magazine in Paris called Fuzac France USA Contacts. And I discovered um, some activities for foreigners. And I, I discovered um, a French class for foreigners on a Tuesday and a Friday. And that completely changed my life because I was in a class, um, an advanced grammar class of French with a group of people from people from all over the world, people from Finland, Colombia, Spain, Argentina, Turkey, America, UK as well. And that, that was the experience that really transformed my life because I was with people who were also in Paris for a year and who wanted to make the most of it. And that's how I got my Latin fever because I had a Colombian boyfriend. I actually gave, I broke up with the one in London because I was having, I started having way too much fun in Paris and not really wanting to go to London. And he was kind of getting jealous and like phoning me at three in the morning, asking me who I was with, even though I was with no one. So I just kind of like, I, I just, we just kind of like drifted apart. And it was amazing because I ended up really enjoying Paris and Paris became something that I didn't imagine it was. You know, after six months, I didn't discover the Paris I know and love today. It took me a very, very long time. And, and the key was just doing activities and just being open to new opportunities. And I promised myself that I would do that again in my life if I ever felt lonely. And it was a piece of advice that I kind of forgot, unfortunately, many times in my life. I've gone through lots of loneliness in my time here in Spain, and I haven't um, taken on that advice. But now that I have again, many years later, I'm loving life here in Barcelona right now. But just going back to the Paris experience, I was absolutely heartbroken when I when my year abroad came to an end. But because I had been with so many Latin people and Spanish people and, and hearing Spanish all the time, I decided that I would um, go back to England. Well, I had to go back to England to finish my university for 10 months. And I was thinking, I am going abroad again. And I wanted to come to Spain and um, I wanted to come to Barcelona originally. But then a friend said, oh, they speak Catalan there. <laughs> so you're better off going to Madrid. So I went to Madrid and it was just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. I wasn't um, I wasn't charmed by the city. Let's just put it that way. But I, I look back now and I have um, very fond memories of Madrid, but it wasn't really a place to settle because I, I was thinking about, you know, uh, actually settling somewhere abroad. I wasn't thinking about having a nomadic life of living in different places. I really did want to kind of find my roots or establish my roots somewhere and now I've, uh, well, but when I came to Barcelona, I had like many, a series of many, uh, many difficulties with work, with finding an apartment and all of that. But as soon as I started sex blogging in 2009, which is 14 years ago now, then things started to kind of work out much better for me. And also at first I was kind of working with Spanish media, but I, you know, I was a freelancer, but ever since going international in 2014, I'm kind of living a lifestyle that I always envied in other, in other expats, for example, living abroad, but working internationally. It's, it's kind of like the best of both worlds because I don't think Spain is the great place for work. You know, it's, it's been, it's kind of a low wage economy and all the years I've been here, salaries have not really gone up, but the cost of living has definitely gone up quite a bit. And for me now, something I am, I do know lots of people here who are digital nomads who are coming to Barcelona on a temporary basis. Basis. It's a very transient city. And even though I've been here for many years, I don't have many friendships that have lasted 
who have, have um, who've stood the test of time. That's because I've changed or maybe people have left as well. But that's not that can be a good thing and a bad thing because there's always fresh people coming into my life. But I do wish I had a bit more of a... Um, I wish I made, I could make more of a, my situation or enjoy it a bit more. Um, the fact that I don't have to be in Barcelona. I mean, I love being based here, but I would love to kind of travel a little bit more. Having, I mean, have this base and then go to different places for a month here and there and experience them um, as much as I can, I could. And that would be something I'd like to do. Because I do also have friends in many parts of the world and a, a big, big family. So it would be nice to kind of go different places and then explore different routines. But what's holding me back from that is that I have recently created an incredible community here in Barcelona. I've, I've talked about my group Conscious Connections many times and I've now we now have 1,500 members, which is now the biggest social conscious group in a social group in Barcelona. And I've also going to a private members club and I've met some incredible women um, who are my my goddess gang. And they really inspire me. We're all inspiring each other. So if I went away for a month, I would definitely miss all of that. But I'm trying to kind of consolidate how I can, or kind of think about how I can do that and and not miss out on anything. Um, but another thing I want to say about travel is that sometimes we have um, destinations on our list that we want to visit. And uh, but then what's something that's been interesting for me that I talked about in the forthcoming in this interview that's coming up now with uh, Damon Dominique is that. Sometimes it can be interesting to go to destinations that you wouldn't choose for yourself. And that's happened to me several times when I've been on work trips that I've had to go somewhere that's not even been on my top 10 of places that I wanted to travel to. And that's really, it can really open your mind and um, you can really enjoy it and enjoy the culture and enjoy things. And you're thinking, wow, I'm so glad that's, that the circumstances led me here because I would never have chosen it for myself. And that's just such a nice thing to do in life anyway, even with, let's say, restaurants or nights out. That happened to me with my Latin fever as well, going back to when I was in Paris. I remember all of my Latin friends wanted to go to a salsa club. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go to a salsa club. I want to go to like, you know, more pop music or something that's more freestyle. But then when I went to the salsa club, it completely transformed me. And I was listening to salsa all the time. I learned how to um, dance salsa. And it, and it even kind of accentuated my Latin fever. So it ended up being life-changing. It's really important to have an open mind and try different things, I think, before you knock them. And um, some of my travels that have opened my mind or have been surprising for me is that I've been to places like Japan or, or Dubai, Sweden, and um, Germany sometimes as well. And I've just been... They're, they're not places that I would like really are in my top five or top ten, but I've just like really, really, really enjoyed them um, thoroughly. But also I think with travel, you know, we can always think about going far away, but there are many things locally as well that we can appreciate. I know here in Barcelona and in Catalonia, I am not probably making the most of it uh, at all. I mean, there's so many um, places where I can, I can enjoy here with like mountains, with beaches, with snow, so many things that are nearby and I ended up I end up just kind of being in the city every single weekend. So I think travel can be local and it can be international and it can be far, it can be near. Um, but whatever it is, I, it's something I definitely want to do more. I think it helps you to gain greater perspective on your life. And I remember when I went to Argentina once and I was in a plane and I was just flying over Uruguay, just about to arrive in Buenos Aires. And um, I was thinking about a guy who was really annoying me at work back in Barcelona. And I thought, he's so far away from me right now. And I suddenly felt invincible. It's, it's interesting how you can see 
your life in perspective. And something I love about going to um, travel and go to retreats is that you can escape from your life to face yourself, which is a very, um, that can be very healing as well. Because even if you can go anywhere in the world, but if you are angry or frustrated or whatever, negative um, emotions that you're carrying with you, you kind of, they kind of become accentuated sometimes when you are, you know, waiting in airports or whatever. Or maybe you can forget them, it depends. But I think um, there is a, a journey within that uh, Damon Dominic always also talks about here in this interview. So let's get to the interview right now and talk about travel. Now it's time for this episode's interview. We'll be speaking with Damon Dominique, travel vlogger, YouTuber and author of the book, You Are a Global Citizen. Damon, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. I'm very happy to have you here. You are a travel blogger, global citizen, author. For those who are unfamiliar with your content, could you tell us what you do? Yes. So I basically go around the world. I document my crazy, crazy adventures and I pray to the YouTube lords that people actually watch them. <laughs> I know you're familiar with this. I've, I've watched a few of your videos as well. So when did, they, when did you start this lifestyle? Um, I've been doing this now. Well, again, I've always been traveling for 10, 15 years. Uh, in fact, the first place I ever went and that instilled this curiosity in me was Barcelona. I studied Spanish oh, wow. for two, two uh, months in Barcelona when I was 16. And that was the first, I was just this small, awkward boy from Indiana at the time. And uh, and then luckily when I was in college, the wave of social media was just hitting. So I dropped out of college and I was like, you know what, now's the time. Let me, instead of study, instead of studying languages in textbooks, let me actually take all this money um, and go spend it in the country learning these languages. And I started documenting my, my travels, um, the people I was meeting and over time. And I mean, now it's been eight years that I've been doing YouTube full time. Now it's, it's, it's all working, fortunately. Wow. So I, I really um, can relate to you as a language learner, because it's such a big difference learning from a book in a different country and actually going to the place. So did you speak, uh, what did you speak when you first started? Just you learning, learning Spanish and that was your only foreign language? Yeah, I was first studying with Spanish. You know, when you're in high school, everybody kind of gears you towards a certain path. And I was I was like, you're you're right. In the States, we do need Spanish more than French. So let me take Spanish. But, you know, fully knowing deep down that I wanted to learn French. So I started learning both. And uh, once I got my Spanish and French to a pretty good level, I went on to Portuguese. And the good thing is that once you've learned one romance language, the other ones are so much easier to pick up, but we don't have to tell everybody that because we don't we don't sound as smart. <laughs> but now I would say I speak French and Spanish and Portuguese fluently. Um, and, you know, I've, I've dabbled in German and I think I could pick that one up if I actually if I sat down and tried. It's just the Germans, their, their English is so good. It's just I feel like their English will always be better than my German. So I don't know, I don't know about that one. So as a language learner to another language learner, have you has, have you ever kind of put your foot in that kind of said, made said something that was maybe sexual or offensive and what you weren't it wasn't meant to be? Oh yes, uh, all the time. <laughs> um, the first thing that comes to mind is that <laughs> I was going on a date. Of course, it, it wasn't. We didn't. 
we didn't call it a date, but it was totally a date though. Um, back on the website, couch surfing. I don't know if you know. Oh that. yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was like some, some of those meetups were low key dates. So I met up with a guy, we had a little picnic and then we were like, all right, let's go get some McDonald's. And he asked why I didn't want any McDonald's. And I said, oh, it's because I'm a vegan. And I also don't, I don't like McDonald's because there are so many preservatives, but the word, the word for, uh, I said preservatif, but preservatif in French means condoms. (laughs) So I was saying, I don't like McDonald's because there's, there are so many condoms in the food, but I meant preservatives. <laughs> and also so, the je suis chaud or estoy caliente as well. That's a big one. Oh, that's a big one. That's a, yeah. People need to learn that day one. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know, what's what I think is funny. <laughs> so I have a French and Spanish course and I say in my, in my class that I find it really interesting that in traditional language learning classes, they always say, oh, absolutely never say je suis excité. And I'm like, yeah but you might need to, like, what are you talking about? Are you never horny? You need to know that. You're, or I introduce you to, that's in Spanish, it's actually penetrate. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Let me introduce you to my friend. Right. It's like presentar, you know? But yes. That's another one. Yeah. So tell us, are you actually a nomad or do you, you actually have a base in Paris and you travel from, you have the best of both worlds kind of thing? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of over this idea of home being one place. I've really tried to find my my peace in Paris, and I have for the most part. But of course, there are other parts of living in France that I find it. I don't know if I'll ever fully fit in here. I don't know if I ever want to fully fit in here. There are parts of the French culture I don't vibe with, just as there are parts with the American culture I don't vibe with. Um, before I moved here, though, I was thinking, oh, when I moved to Europe, all of my just really everything that pissed me off in the States would be uh, solved. And that's true. But then there were things that I discovered that I just don't necessarily agree with, like really trying to get any delivery. Um, if you order anything online, impossible. <laughs> like it will never arrive. <laughs> it just never does. I don't know. Um, they just can't get it together. Um, or things like French bureaucracy, um, even trying to go to an appointment a doctor's appointment there's just so many more steps than there are in the states so i do feel like while people are taken care of here more in france along that come along with that comes um like more bureaucracy just more people almost in the way <laughs> i i mean i work for myself as do you it's like every i don't need all these middlemen i just need to talk to the doctor and i don't know so i would say i live here now and I know that I'll spend lots of time in Paris in my life, but I don't know if it's like my forever place, but that's because I don't think that any place is anyone's forever place. At least that's my perspective. Have you watched um, Emily in Paris? I tried. I tried. I tried. Um, <laughs> anything ring, does anything feel familiar to you? With the, the kind you know of I'm a little American salty. Industry? I'm a little salty because um, I'm an influencer from basically Chicago. She's uh-huh. an influencer from Chicago. Uh all of the thing, all, all of these like little tidbits, like one of the uh, scenes she was trying to get her repairman over. That was a video that I had made as well. So there are tons oh. of correlations. They they must have done their research on YouTube <laughs> because they're, <laughs> they're really um, encapsulating what it is to live here. Um, that being said, I will say, I know that she falls in love with her neighbor or something like this. I will say like, there's just sex in sex and lust in the air everywhere like when you're walking in when you're doing your grocery shopping and the like an announcement comes on 
it sounds so sexual. (laughs) (laughs) This woman, like she's just in the microphone, like really giving it her all. And it's, she's talking about like onions, but um, (laughs) it's les onions. It just sounds good. Um, But I have seen it. Um, I watched about the half, half of the first season and then I don't know I just I, I didn't continue I don't know why I, I guess you're kind of living it but for me it was very I loved it a lot because I, I lived in Paris twice so it was très nostalgique for me just to go back and uh, remembering those things for example one, one big shock to me was when you go into a shop you have to say hello before you order something because they get very rude of not you are one I, I'm happy that you said that um, that is probably the number one tip I could give anybody coming here um, if we take the, the supermarket example again, if you just want to walk up to somebody and be like, hi, do you have onions? In English, we'd probably be like, do you have onions? We'd say, excuse me. Excuse, excuse me, do you have onions? Yeah. Say, excuse me, do you have any onions? And if you just say, if you go up to them and say, excusez-moi ou pardon, they'll say, bonjour. Yeah. How, how dare you ask me a question? We need to even acknowledge that I'm here. It's just a, it's a different, it's a different culture. And I don't know. It's something that I personally don't agree with. I don't like that they, that you have that there is this conversation code that we all have to agree to before we can even address each other. I'm that's that's one of the parts that I'm not a huge fan of here. But I mean, there are tons of other things about living in Europe that I absolutely love. Yeah, because I think um, they kind of retaliate in a much ruder way. I think <laughs> that's what I found. They go bonjour, bonjour, bonjour until you kind of get it. But that's kind of <laughs> passive aggressive almost, and that's kind of worse than you not knowing. You know, is it that way in Spain? Yeah, yeah, you say hola, but I don't think they get so um, annoyed if you don't say it. But I think when you go to the supermarket, it's hola, que tal, or buenos dias. So I think, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, especially in the States where we are extremely casual, extremely informal, people strike up conversations with each other in line all the time. It's like you don't even have to address anybody ever. It's just like, hey, what do you think about that magazine? Oh, it's great. I don't know. It's just like it's a lot more of a casual culture than it is here. Mm-hmm. Barcelona is a big digital nomad hub, as you probably know. And I know a lot of people here who actually literally are nomads. They're going from one place to another, living out of a suitcase. And do you have the best of both worlds in that way? You've got the kind of flexibility of travel, but you have this base. I think when I think of those people, I think, oh, you can't buy a Vitamix. There's no point. I mean, I, I just love my Vitamix, for example. And if you're a nomad, there's certain things that you you you, you can't accumulate a lot of things. And, um, you know, what do you think about that? Have you ever been a nomad where you're yes. literally moving or living out of a suitcase? Yes. So the joke on my channel is that my my name spelled backwards is nomad. Mm. So I, I was cursed from birth <laughs> to live this nomadic lifestyle. My name is Damon. So nomad Damon. Um, yes. Before officially getting an apartment in Paris, I was living, I think I did two or three years out of a suitcase. And it's exactly what you described. It's like, I mean, I just want to get through one full bottle of shampoo for once in my life. I don't want to always have to get the, the trial size. Um, or having spices, you know, like maybe I want to make a tofu scramble in the morning and I want some turmeric. Like, am I realistically going to carry around a thing of turmeric in my suitcase? So that starts wearing on you. And then also, I guess one of the downsides of being a nomad full-time is that I feel like when you do move week after week, month after month, the conversation, like when you meet people, of course, you're meeting millions of people, um, but the conversations are always starting from zero. Whereas when you are set up shop in one city, you kind of can uh, meet people at a deeper level already. So you're 
boulangère, your baker already knows who you are. So you can, you know, build a relationship or even your friends, you can always start from a deeper level. Um, and that's always difficult if you're moving around all the time, going from place to place to place, you have to explain who you are. Um, geez, I'm really like hitting all the negative points of every yeah. question you ask me. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. So I just, um, I was really happy to see you're vegan. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, how does that affect you? I mean, I'm vegan too. Yay. And um, uh, starting a positive, what's your favorite vegan place in Paris? Ooh. Um, tell me a couple, because I went there a few years ago as a vegan and it was just, I, I was so amazed. <laughs> let's see here. Oh, well, how about this? My favorite, it's not necessarily a vegan restaurant, but it is my favorite meal and they have a vegan bento box. And it's, mm. I've, had it, I've had it, I think three times this, this week. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Eyes bento, so A-I apostrophe S bento. Um, and it's hilarious because I, I go in there all the time and every time they ask me, sir, what would you like to eat? And I'm like, it's literally the same thing I get every time. How do you not know? I want the vegan bento. So I would say that is one of my, my go-tos. Of course, what everybody will tell you, the restaurant everybody will tell you to go to is Wild and the Moon. Oh. Wild and the Moon, it's a chain and it's very, it's like uh they have juices and smoothies. If you go there, get the get the banana bread with the they put this like drizzle, this like vanilla cream drizzle that's vegan on it. Delicious. But in terms of an actual vegan, vegan, vegan restaurant, and that's it, I don't actually have a favorite. I feel like I I'm, love- I'm getting the vegan option elsewhere. But obviously I depend on Happy Cow. I imagine you do as well, the Happy Cow app. Uh travel. I know exactly what that is, but I don't have it on my phone. I should absolutely, oh, wow. I should do that right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I use it a lot when I travel and I went back to Paris in 2019 first because I was, I was a vegetarian when I lived there years ago. And that was very weird, you know, being a vegetarian. Um, but now it's, I was really surprised to see there were so many places that were vegan. And I really love this place called Cloud Cakes behind Leal. You know that place? Yep. 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 They're there. It's amazing. And um the Hank Pizza or Hank Pizza? So I didn't want to bring it up. I'm sorry to announce that Hank Pizza has clothes. No, I know <laughs> that was really but nice. That, I, and you're right. I used to eat there all the time too. Mm-hmm. But they have another one called Hank Burger. That, okay. one's, that one's still open. It's still delicious, but it's not. It's no Hank Pizza. It's no Hank Pizza. Okay. So how does does veganism affect your travel choices? Because it's so so it can be so difficult in some destinations of the world. Um, yes, uh, I just did three weeks in Tunisia and <laughs> I was carrying around a, a backup can of kidney beans, uh, red beans in my bag at all times, just in case if I had to pop open the can of beans, cause I didn't have anything else to eat. So that was a bit difficult. Um, you know, you always find something to eat. It's just, sometimes it's not as exciting as you might hope. Uh, yeah, in Tunisia, I was surviving on peanut butter, rice cakes, and uh, red kidney beans, not all at once. <laughs> um, but it's been nice to go to countries and see that there's, in countries where I wasn't expecting there to be a vegan scene, there absolutely was. Brazil, for example, oh, wow. Mexico City, amazing vegan options, best I've eaten as a vegan. Um, Romania was fine, ate well there. So... Yeah, it's always hit or miss, really, because I was going to Tunisia thinking, oh, I can eat this couscous uh, in le- legume. Yeah, and, t- and tagines and things like that. Tagine, but then they bring it out with a fish head in it. And I'm oh. like, oh, no, I said vegetarian. And they're like, yeah, it's fish. I'm like, <laughs> all right, 
No, <laughs> no, no, no. So tell us about your book. What does it mean to be a global citizen? Uh, what does it mean to be a global citizen? That is, so there are many ways to answer this question. The first way I would say is that my book about being a global citizen is not a book about becoming one. It's mm -hmm. about realizing that deep down before anything else, we all already are. Like we all, before any other label, nationality label, we all are a part of the globe, the earth, um, beyond these man-made borders. So that's number one. Number two is that I guess going back to this story about me moving to France, again, I was moving to France thinking that France was going to solve, so France was going to be the answer to my life. Like I'm going to move to France and I'm going to be so much happier. And of course I am. I definitely am. But I realized that, okay, maybe no matter where I go in the world, there will always be things that I do and don't like. I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, when I was growing up, I thought I was fully American. Then I'm college hit and I'm like, you know what, maybe I'm French. So then I moved to France. Now I've been in France for however many years, probably five, 10 years now. And now I'm like, okay, I'm not French either. I don't have to be any of these. I can be all of these. I can be none of these. Why do we as humans have to belong to any state? <laughs> that's the That's the vibe I'm on. Why do I have to belong to anywhere? So I took that idea and broke it down into, I guess there's 18 chapters in the book, um, politics, money, career, love, sexuality, gender, race, you know, and I kind of asked people the questions that I would have wanted to have been asked as I was traveling the world. Because um, when you travel the world, when you go down the street, you're in a curious mindset, you want to explore, um, your, your mind is open to other ways of life. And so what a perfect time to be asking yourself these personal questions too. So that's what that's what the book is. It's like a, a guided journal. Um, I don't know if you ever read the book or have done the book, The Artist's Way by Julia. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got it on my, I love it. It really inspires It's like everybody has it on the book. Yeah. Everyone has it on their bookshelf. So I would say it's that just through the lens of travel and culture. Um, I was just surprised that a book like this, like I haven't seen a book like this before. We have... Eat, Pray, Love, amazing. We have Anthony Bourdain's books. We have Rick Steves' books, but they're all either travel guides or um, novels. Again, great. But where is the book for the person who's studying abroad for the first time or moving to Barcelona, um, who's like embarking on this new chapter of their life? I think that's a really beautiful time to, to capture. So that's what my book is about. Um, and it's launching in two weeks which is nuts oh, cool. and finally yeah. i've been working on it for too long <laughs> so tell us about working on it what was your writing process like were you writing it in all different places did that help with the inspiration um i was writing it in multiple places but that's just because that's how i like to live my life just popping around um i would say naturally i'm a more visual person i like design i like videos i like setting up a shot um you know, style, fashion, that's my thing. I like I like uh, the visual components, the aesthetics, but writing is not that. Writing is what do you have to say in the least amount of words as possible? That's hard for me. I'm more of a storyteller um, and writing is a skill that has to be honed in on. And it was probably one of the hardest things I've done, uh, mainly because also it's a book that's coming from my point of view, but then of course it has to... Um, be general enough that people want to pick it up 
uh, also, you know, going back, working with an editor, a publisher, you can't always say exactly all the the jokes you want to. I know a lot of my uh, jokes can be a little politically incorrect at times. And so we had to fix some of those. It was just honestly, probably one of the hardest things I've done in terms of my career. Um, just trying to really think, what do I want to say right now on this page? I have this many words to convey that. Go for it. That's hard. Mm. That's hard to do. And how did you deal with writer's block? Did you stop or you kind of like, do you have any techniques that you want to share about that? Um, I'm of the belief that if you give yourself 30 minutes or if you give yourself three days to do something, it's going to take that amount of time. So um, I had to set deadlines for myself. Of course, the publisher had their deadlines as well, but I was I would always set mine like, look, this chapter absolutely needs to be done by the end of the day whatever's on that page is that's what it's going to say <laughs> like it was in your brain somewhere so it must still be valid um that's what the book is going to say now i got the book to a place where i'm super of course i'm super happy with it i wish um i actually wanted the book to be longer there were a lot of passages that we had to cut um, but you know what it's the first book you do what you got to do also since the publisher is putting so much time and energy into it it's, it is not only my baby but i birthed this baby with them <laughs> it's an amazing process because I've done I've published three books here in Spain and it's to go from you know manuscript to the first copy and then the actual copy I've always cried when I've got my book in my hands oh. you know it's just been like a it really is like a nine month it's almost like a pregnancy you know it's a it's a birthing process you know? yeah did you find the process difficult for you or do you find that you're more visual or was writing it pretty natural I've been writing for 14 years I used to write for El Pais and GQ and Playboy and um I wrote a book called English for Perverts, which is the, the best language book you've ever seen with proper grammar, but with sex words. And I, wrote, I published that with Penguin Random House. And that was fairly easy because I was an English teacher when, when I first came to Spain. I really hated it because that's what all English and American people did. You know what I mean? It was just like teaching English in companies. And I found, and everyone was, no one cared about learning a language. And I was so passionate. And uh, so I had this idea of kind of bringing sex and grammar together. <laughs> and yes. it, went, it went really well. That was 10 years ago now. And then I wrote another book, which was a memoir, which was like paid therapy, really, just um, four months of writing my life story. And that was with another big publisher here in Spain. And I just found it very enjoyable. And and having it, you know, in the end in your hands is just amazing. But I've been a writer for a long time. It took me a long time to get my my voice because I was thinking um, at the beginning, um, GQ gave me a column. It kind of landed in my lap like very easily. And I was, I felt a lot of imposter syndrome, like I didn't deserve it. And I was writing in Spanish as well. So that was another hurdle. And then um, I was writing some articles, kind of research in third person. Then they wrote back, we want to know what you think. And I was like, who cares what I think? But then it just became more natural when I was just writing my own opinion, you know, in first person, it just, because there's no rules to that. It's, it's your experience, it's your opinion. So no one can correct you on that, so to speak. Yeah, I, I feel that 100%. During my process, I was, I was like, I am not a researcher. I haven't studied this stuff. Like I haven't actually done experiments to prove that these ideas are true, but these are just the ways that I see the world. Um, and also, I've always been into philosophy and other ways of thinking and none of that can ever be proven by anybody anyway so I guess that was more the attitude I took with with mine uh what you said about English for perverts I gotta send you my I made a a, a guide for how to flirt 
fall in love and fuck in French. So oh, I gotta cool. <laughs> I got to send it over. But I relate to you because I'm so passionate about language, but, and I feel like other people would be if languages weren't taught in such a polished, um, politically correct way. I think what people are actually interested in saying is they, they need a real personality. And with a real personality comes sometimes cursing or talking about uh, a hookup or talking about this career milestone you want. Those are the things people need to know. And so if I were ever a teacher uh, for a company or a language school, I probably would get fired and I would be proud of it because I'm here to teach a language and not necessarily what the curriculum says. Yeah, in my English with perverts, there's a, there's a whole chapter about STIs and like and symptoms. Like, I have an itch on my penis, and yes. <laughs> these are really important things. That one. <laughs> How do I say that? <laughs> Tengo picor, like it's itching. <laughs> or sa- summer peak. Oh, that's the same. Yeah, it's a gratis. <laughs> it's, it's in my guide too. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, these things are very important, as well as um, you know, asking for condoms and preservative, not not preservatives, as you said earlier. So right. Very very important. So, how does travel um, influence the journey of self discovery in your experience, or for anyone? Well, I think what most people are doing when they're traveling is what they think they're doing is going to a place and discovering its culture and they're visiting the Eiffel Tower, what is actually happening behind the scenes um, at the same time is they're learning about themselves by comparison. They're learning what they like, they're learning what they don't like. Um, and then of course, if you post up, if you move to the country, you're gonna amplify that by 5 million. Uh, what is it that I agree with here? What is it that I don't agree with here? Why am I getting so upset when or when I walk into a store and I'm not saying bonjour, um, why are they getting so upset? What is the difference here? So I would say they go hand in hand. When you're traveling, you are uh, exploring yourself. And also, I think it opens your mind up to not be so convinced with everything you've been taught about life and your own culture. Um, I remember learning for the first time that it's not everywhere in the world that they stand up at the beginning of each school day, put their hand over their heart and look to the flag and recite the national, what do we call it? The um, I don't even remember what it's called. I've been out of the country for so long. The national, not the national anthem. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. Are you serious? States. In the school? In the Wait, did you not know this? Yes. No. <laughs> That's and, not been and... in the films. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This is a real thing. Uh, your listeners oh, will wow. know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Every morning in American education, um, after the bell rings, they do the morning mm-hmm. announcements. And then they you stand up. You look to the flag. There's always an American flag in the classroom. Put your hand over your heart. And here's what you say. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. I I forget it at this point. My la da da under God with liberty and justice for all. And you're looking at the flag. God, that's so crazy. But I was under the impression that everybody else was doing it too. And those in Spain were doing it to the Spanish flag. And those in France were doing it to the French flag. No, it's now I look at it like, okay, why don't we just call that pure brainwashing? (laughs) Oh my God. For me, one thing that really influenced me or impacted me when I went to live in Paris for the first time was seeing the UK from outside the UK and feeling this huge disillusion and disappointment with the culture. And I I thought everyone used to get completely wasted every weekend to the point of amnesia. You know, I thought that was normal. And then I completely gave up alcohol. I I remember us being in a really cool bar in Bastille in Moudalap or something with a lot of people from different countries. 
And me and my English friend were looking at the, the, the menu to try and calculate the cheapest way to get drunk. And we saw a bottle of wine for the te- for like 100 francs back in the day. And then everyone else was drinking Perrier. And it was Friday night. And they were like, oh, you're English. And, and I was the only person drunk. And, and then everyone was telling me what I did and said. But it, it, it was just kind of exaggerating. And then I thought, oh, I need to stop drinking. So I know nothing about French wine. But because the way of drinking was very different for, to what I grew up with. You know. Yeah, why do you think that there is such an obsession or draw to alcohol? In, in... I think people are not very comfortable with um, talking openly. That, I think that's one thing. And also I think the cold, I think the pub was probably a place to meet. And with that goes alcohol. So uh, I think it's a kind of a social thing. Um, but I think I found that's one thing that really attracted me to Spanish culture was the fact that people were very expressive with words in, in a completely sober state. Mm-hmm. I love that. I had Latin fever. I got, I got, I had a Colombian boyfriend in Paris, and I was. That's what brought me to Spain because I just got this massive Latin fever. And I loved how open and expressive they were about their feelings, their desires. Whereas an English person would need to have a few drinks before they would have that same that. openness. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard it put that way, and that makes so much sense. Yeah, people are really drawn to the cultures around the Mediterranean for that reason. They feel so <laughs> passionate about everything, um, and. A lot of times without the alcohol involved. I like that. Did you have any stories of big culture shocks? Um, big culture shocks. I'm thinking of my ex right now. Let's let's see. Cause my ex is French. Um, my ex is French, and <laughs> everybody on my channel always they they tease me because I I bring him up all the time. Uh, <laughs> but we have such a good relationship. That's why. And and to be honest, I don't feel a need to forget about him or almost write him off like he did me wrong because he did teach me so much. Like he he made me smarter. He made me more cultivé, more cultured, I guess. Um, but I'm thinking of this time, I remember it was like, I was probably 22, uh, went to his house to meet his parents and we're all around the table, we're having our dinner. And I remember they asked me something about the American healthcare system. And I was like, oh, here we go. Like, I don't even know how to talk about this in English. It's so convoluted. And I remember they all, everybody around the table had such a strong opinion about healthcare. And it was as if they were already coming at the subject with a higher register of knowledge. Like my ex, who was the same age at the time, 22, he knew everything about, he was just more, he was just smarter, I think, than me. And I remember feeling, um, I don't want to say dumb, because I'm not dumb. Like I, obviously I'm more smarter in other aspects, but I remember feeling like your average French person has like a higher register of knowledge. I just feel like they, about every topic, like I've had French people over here where they're like, oh, why are you refrigerating the red wine? Like that shouldn't be refrigerated. But like none of my American friends would have ever told me like, oh, you don't red, you don't refrigerate red wine. Or if I'm making a meal, uh, they would just know like, oh, you need to put this spice with this. And this is like amongst all of my French friends. So I guess what I'm saying is they seem to know a lot more by default because to them, they would not say that they are well-versed in cuisine or or culture. But when you compare them, they're, when you compare French culture, French people to a lot of other cultures, they do seem to know a lot more. Uh, maybe it's that they grew up in such a beautiful country with amazing architecture, amazing art, amazing philosophers. And so they learn about it from a young age. Whereas in the States, we're taught like 
just go be a football player and you'll make a lot of money or go start a business in tech and you'll make a lot of money. It's like our focuses are different. Um, so I guess I've had lots of culture shocks and a lot of them made me realize that, I don't know, I, I guess I wasn't well-versed in those subjects, but I'm I'm getting there. <laughs> so I always found for many years that I, I found that when you have a mixed race relationship, you just learn so much as well as the relationship. And I found that it brought me a lot more um, knowledge than, say, going out with another English person. But now it's been so long that I'm finding English people exotic now. <laughs> Have you found that with Americans or you kind of, you are always more attracted to other foreigners? Oh, no, I absolutely get what you're saying. Um, a part of me feels, after being here for so long, like Lady Liberty. Like, <laughs> I just want to wave the American flag high sometimes. So I would I would say when you move out of your country of origin, it's almost like there's a spotlight now on your country in your eyes because you can see things you're seeing outside of the fishbowl now um so yeah again i would just say the main thing that i really love about american culture is that people don't seem to have too many rules when it comes to approaching other people in the street um there is like an an open wave of communication like you can talk to anybody and there's not going to be this bonjour um i think part of it honestly might come from linguistics and the fact that we don't have a differentiation anymore between like a tu and usted or mm -hmm. vous. everybody's just you um i believe back in the day it used to be you was the usted and the or thy was the two but then we got rid of the two and now we just call everybody usted um perhaps it comes from that that we just kind of approach random strangers and think that we're all on the same level so like i can talk to you i don't have to you know if you're older than me i don't have to show you respect <laughs> it's horrible but um or if i just meet you i don't have to call you vu or stead so perhaps it's that i don't know i tend to take these concepts and take them really far and then i have no research to back them up <laughs> So how do you plan your trips? Are you quite spontaneous or do you plan and research a lot? Or has that evolved over the years? Yeah, so I would say right now I'm planning a trip actually to England. Oh. Uh, planning it, well, to Wales specifically, so next door. Planning a trip to Wales and I swear I was a travel agent in a past life. I love it. I love optimizing my itinerary okay i'm not going to want to wake up this early so let's take this train at 11 it's leaving from this train station i love doing that kind of stuff but i will say those are just the logistics when i'm on the ground don't plan anything for me because i'd much rather i think the spark of travel comes from when you stop into a coffee shop for a coffee and a muffin and then you start talking with the cash register, the cashier, and the cashier tells you to go to the thrift store. Then at the thrift store, you meet the person and the person you go on a date with. That's, I think, what people are looking for. And you can't really have that if your whole schedule is um, completely planned out. The, the spontaneity and the mystery of life is like not going to be found in that. You already know what you're doing. You know. Do you tend to plan to stay for a while or how how long would yeah. you say plan your trips for? Um, I would say I, it depends on the destination, like boring answer, <laughs> depends on the destination. Um, I just got back from Mexico where I spent a month there. 
So that's a different story. You know, I can kind of just, I take my suitcase, sublet my apartment and just go and then figure it out. Um, but this trip to Wales, it's only about three, four days. So there is a little bit more planning involved. Did you try to go to new places all the time? Do you want to get all those passports? Do you want to get those stamps in the passport? Yeah. Are you having a kind of competition with yourself to get how, as many stamps as possible? Um, I think I'm going to start doing that this year. I think I need a new goal because fortunately I visited the places that were always on my dream list. Mm -hmm. um, no one ever talks about this. Like, okay, what do you do when you visited all the places you wanted to see in the world? I've well, I always wanted to go to London and mm -hmm. Inca and Paris and Tokyo okay, now what? It's like, I've seen the places, is that just it? Like, here I am, 31 years old, like, do I, like, I still have 70 more years on earth, what am I just going to go from those, those, like, that triangle of cities? Um, so that's an interesting question. I feel like when I zoom out of all the countries I've been to, I've only really hit a fourth of the world. So I think, it's important to always maintain this curiosity, like, okay, these are only the places that I have either gone myself or other people have gone and told me to go. What about everywhere else? Like there are still millions, billions of people in those places. So they must be, <laughs> they're out there living their lives too. I would love to go see what they're doing over there. So that's the attitude I'm taking now. And I think, yeah, just to like breathe more life into my my passion for travel. I think I do need a goal like that. I've never had one of those because I always felt like it was more ego driven. Almost like what does it matter if you've been to a hundred countries if you've only been there for one day? Like, can you really say you've been there if you've only been there for one day? Um but I think there's a there's a function on Skyscanner to like surprise you or something. I, I think I think there's something like that. Feature, yeah, there's a feature called everywhere. But yeah, maybe a new feature called surprise me. They should yeah. something like that. Can something like that? Something kind of spontaneous where you just press a button and you can just see what the offers are. And for me, I think work um trips have opened me up to places I would never go to myself. I had a work trip to Japan when I was living in Paris, and I never really wanted to go to to Tokyo. And that was like, whoa, this is so different. And also, I went to um Sweden recently to give a workshop, and I would never have Sweden on my list, but I absolutely loved it. And in Dubai I would never think about that these places and I was like wow wow or I went to Morocco with this I do Toastmasters you know public speaking so we have these congresses and they're always in places that I would never go to and I think that's kind of cool as well to to go somewhere that it's not on your list and you really open your mind it's like trying a dish that you wouldn't usually order you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like, have you had any experience going to countries where I guess sex is not so openly talked about like well i went to dubai where sex toys are illegal um so i mean i, I have 750 sex toys in my spare room because that's my main job um yeah. so to go there i always i couldn't bring anything with me and I, I was expecting to hate it you know as as a feminist and free woman and a sex toy designer and reviewer but i actually really love the service because you don't get that in barcelona the service is absolutely terrible here <laughs> you know yeah. so uh yeah it's kind of yeah, to challenge your beliefs i, I suppose that must be, and like do, when you're in those situations, do you find yourself um, getting shy or do you find yourself being more outspoken about your beliefs? Oh, I would not. Um, I'm very respectful of my environment and um, I, I wouldn't want to have any, because you hear these bad stories about, you know, people kissing in the street and they're in prison or something. So I would never want to provoke anyone else in, in a place that in, if it's going to put me into danger. So no, I'm, I'm quite discreet and respectful and uh 
Yeah, but just kind of, I always feel like, I think it's something when you when you travel, you feel that everyone else is the foreigner when it's you. Does that happen to you? Ooh, that's that <laughs> like everyone, yeah, you know, nobody wants to be the tourist, but that's exactly what you are when you travel. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll never forget. My mom came to New York to visit me. I was living there and I was like, mom, I don't want to look like a tourist. Like you can't do that. And she's like, honey, I am a tourist. And like, I'm not ashamed of it. I wanted to come to New York. I wanted to see this. I am 1 million percent a tourist. I don't know. I thought that was like a nice, it's just one of those sentences that has stuck with me over the years. Like, why am I trying to act like I'm not a tourist? I am. I think in Barcelona, you wouldn't want to because of just all the pickpocketing and oh, yes. all, all the bag snatching, you know, it could be quite vulnerable. So a couple of quick, quick questions for you. What is the book that changed your life? Ooh, oh my gosh. Yes. An opportunity to talk about it again. <laughs> uh, it's called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Oh, can I write that down? A New Earth. Is that the one after the power of now? Yes, yes. So I think this one, this is the one that really just changed me. It really explained what's happening right now on earth with just humans and the ego. Uh, Perhaps it was just the first book I ever read about the ego and how most people are operating from their ego. They're operating from a place of fear instead of love. It just, it was really the book that explained it. It's not too dense. It's a relatively easy read. I will say the first chapter to me can get a little a little too spiritual i think if we just want to call it that. <laughs> he's talking about the flowers and nature and i think that could turn people off who aren't really into this kind of stuff but after that woof i i am looking at it right now you and me eckhart <laughs> yeah i love uh a newer his other books are great as well but i am his biggest groupie i'm actually going to london uh, in october to one of his talks and for my oh, birthday wow. and it's probably <laughs> gonna be the best birthday of my life and Joe Dispenza's going to Paris I don't know if you like Joe Dispenza on the 17th of February I didn't know that okay cool yeah. it's, it's really out. yeah it's just a weekend thing but I might go to that so what about um what's a do you have a phrase or affirmation or quote that you live by yeah I would say now this is the one that's always stuck with me it's not that I like have it on my mirror and I'm chanting it every morning but I do really believe it it's you'll never know unless you go or you'll never know until you go you'll never truly know what is out there until you go do it and that could be I don't know going out to the club tonight you'll never know unless you go you could make it you know a t-shirt that's a good t-shirt yeah I just like it or you'll never know what life is like in Sweden until you actually go um, I don't know. I, that's the one that's always stuck with me throughout the years. I don't know if it's, you'll never know until you go. You'll never know unless you go. You'll never know. So go. <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet. Great. So where can people find you? They can find me everywhere online, Damon, Dominique, um, on every platform, really. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited and happy to be here. The book I'm reading now is Living Magically, A New Vision of Reality by Jill Edwards, author of Life is a Gift. I bought this book last summer when I went to England and many of the uh, books that I've reviewed here over the last few months have been from my big book purchase last summer, which was so nice to be in a bookshop with lots of English books. Um, about self-help, etc. 
And it was interesting because I started reading this book when I was in England going on trainer journeys to see family, etc. And I found the book not so easy to read. And now that I've just finished my last, the last book I was reading, which was um, More Than a Woman by Kathleen Moran, I've picked this up, book up again and I've started to read where I left off. And now I don't find it difficult at all. I'm finding it very easy to absorb. And I think sometimes with books, there's a time and a place, you know, it's not always the right moment to read something. I know I've had some things on my bookshelf that I've bought and then I've had them for three years and I've picked them up and I'm like, oh my God, I did not realize this this treasure was sitting there gathering dust on my shelves. And this book is all about manifestation, overcoming limiting self-beliefs. And I'm going to read a little bit from the blurb. Living, Ma- Living Magically is a classic book that changed countless lives. Jill Edwards, one of Britain's leading spiritual teachers, draws upon mystics, scientists, and channeled sources to challenge our common sense assumptions about the world and provide a startling new vision of reality, a vision which can transform our everyday lives. In this lively and inspiring guide to the tools and techniques of metaphysics, Jill Edwards outlines a spiritually based psychology for the times that we live in, taking a practical self-help approach. Living Magically will help you to rediscover your inner wisdom, break through your fears, blockages and limitations, let go of the past and reach for the future, grow through love and joy rather than pain and struggle, heal your inner child and listen to the whispers from your higher self and make your dreams come true. That's all amazing. And yes, I'm really enjoying it right now. There are lots of exercises in this book that are helping me to overcome my own limiting beliefs because um, I do have a lot of limiting beliefs, even though I'm quite optimistic and um, spiritually, I'm, I'm kind of an optimistic person, a quite positive person in general, but I definitely do have my um, limiting beliefs about my capabilities, about my reality. And also something I've been thinking about a lot lately is self-concept about the way I see myself and my potential. And as you know, I love affirmations because I have affirmations on every single um um, podcast episode at the end, I wanted to read to you a list of affirmations that Jill Edwards read every morning. And I've just discovered that she's no longer with us. So that was, uh, I was wanting to follow her on Instagram. And then I found that out that her work was complete about um, 10 years ago, I think, or just over a decade ago. Anyway, here are the affirmations that um, she said, I'm at the moment, I start each day with this set of seven affirmations. I open myself as a channel to the light. I trust in the power and magic of the universe. I am attracting more and more love into my life. I am attracting more and more joy into my life. I am attracting more and more abundance into my life. I am willing to let miracles happen. I open myself as a channel to the light. Amazing. I love it. And now this morning, I just um, stopped at a point which is about self-image, which is precisely what I feel that I am struggling with right now. It's definitely improving and it's improving thanks to the people that I am surrounding myself with who definitely see my potential sometimes more than I do. And their belief kind of convinces my my own belief. And um, this week has just been amazing for new business opportunities. And um, I'm kind of... um, 
unblocking. I'm, I'm unblocking lots of things in in my life, lots of obstacles, my obstacles that are, you know, that I'm. I think we all kind of limit ourselves, even though we can be aware. Our our awareness of that definitely varies, but I definitely I'm aware of my own, how I see myself and my potential. And um, oh, there's the wind. Sorry about that. Yeah, so I'm hoping to overcome that slowly but surely. Well, I have to. <laughs> I really want. Um, yeah, so. Um, I'm just going to read a little bit from this self-image. Pick an area of your life in which you wish to move forward, perhaps health, work, relationships, money or spirituality, and scribble down whatever comes to mind about your self-image in that area. For example, me and health, me and work. When you have finished, it might take five minutes or five hours. Look through your notes and pick out the central themes. Is there a single word that which sums it all up? Oops, sorry about that. E.g. loser, spoiler, thinker, cynic, martyr, goody-goody, complainer, doormat, groveler. I don't uh, identify with any of those things, fortunately. What sort of reality would a person in this self-image create? Now think about the reality that you want to create. What sort of self-image would you need to create to support this? Scribble down everything that comes to mind. Now pick on a word which describes your new self-image, e.g., for example, winner, adventurer, sparkler, I love it, powerhouse, inventor, joy bringer, enthusiast, philosopher. How would this person think, feel, and behave? In meditation, picture yourself creating and handling situations which reflect your new self-image. Begin to see yourself in this new way. This is just one example of the exercises in this book, because some of them are they're kind of making lists, they're very similar in terms of they're making lists of what, how you see yourself, maybe the present or negative way, and then how you would like to see yourself, and then to start to try and transform yourself or your, your thinking to that second list, which is something that I think is very, it can be very instrumental. For me, I think my area that I struggle the most with has to be, I think love is something that I have um, struggled with. Um I'm definitely open to love and things like that, but I have do have some beliefs that um, it would complicate my life or that I am a kind of singular, strange, weird person that um, and it would be difficult for me to find someone who's going to um, support me and accept me exactly how I am, even though I don't think I'm a bad person. I think I'm a great catch, <laughs> obviously. But uh, I, I do think um, sometimes... Um, I don't want to play small in order to fit in with someone else. I, I definitely love myself first, but I, that's maybe a limiting belief that I have, or maybe I need to do some growth before I can get to someone who's on a higher level than me. Anyway, but the, the journey has been decided and I've embarked on it. And that's it. So I'm on there, page 98 at the moment, and that's just um, on about a third of the way through. And I hope to be learning lots more things about living magically. And that's the book I'm reading now. A New Vision of Reality, Living Magically by Jill Edwards. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's Guided Affirmations Meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath, and enjoy. I am a traveller. I am enjoying the journey of life. I am open to 
To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. 
make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.